0: Today is Friday, May 22, 2020. On this day in 1998, Federal Judge Norma Holloway Johnson ruled that President Bill Clinton's Secret Service would have to testify about the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a podcast original. Due to the sexual nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering one of the most infamous criminal investigations in American history, the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Let's go back to a Washington, D.C. courtroom on May 22, 1998. Federal Judge Norma Holloway Johnson had made her decision. President Bill Clinton's Secret Service would be called to the stand. The president's lawyers immediately began to scramble, thinking nervously back to Clinton's statement three months earlier, as well as his denials under oath, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It's one of the most famous quotes in American presidential history, so often repeated that it's become a meme, but people often forget the details of the complicated scandal that preceded it. President Bill Clinton's impeachment story began not in May 1998, but four years earlier, in May 1994. Former Arkansas government employee Paula Jones filed a civil suit against Clinton claiming that he had exposed himself to her at a conference in Arkansas in May 1991. This lawsuit would set off a chain of events that neither Jones nor Clinton could have predicted. And the woman who would receive the most fame, or infamy depending on your view, was ironically not even in the picture yet. Monica Lewinsky began working as a White House intern in June 1995. By November 1995, she was involved in a sexual relationship with the President. Lewinsky maintained that the relationship was consensual as late as 2014 when she said, Sure, my boss took advantage of me, but I will always remain firm on this point. It was a consensual relationship. In light of the Me Too movement's rise in 2017, however, Lewinsky began to change her thinking. She said, Now, at 44, I'm beginning, just beginning, to consider the implications of the power differentials between a president and a White House intern. I'm beginning to entertain the notion that in such a circumstance, the idea of consent might well be rendered moot. The point being that when the most powerful man in the world, 49 at the time, sexually propositioned one of his 22-year-old employees, how free was she to turn him down? He had the ability to not only remove her from her job, but to ruin her life. Even darker, he had access to dangerous people in the Secret Service and military who could potentially cause her harm. And so what does a yes really mean in that context? It's worth considering because it helps us to understand the impeachment fervor that would follow. However, we're still not quite there yet. The affair continued into 1996 until the White House Chief of Staff removed Lewinsky, citing immature behavior. The injustice of the situation again becomes clear. A young woman had to change her career path because of a sexual dalliance, while the man who initiated it saw no consequences. At first, 1997 saw the arrival of another classic player in the history of the scandal, Linda Tripp. Lewinsky's new job at the Pentagon brought her into contact with this government worker, who secretly recorded Lewinsky admitting to her affair with the president. Lewinsky wasn't out of President Clinton's orbit yet, either. By January 1998, she'd been called to testify in the ongoing Paula Jones lawsuit. She claimed that she and Clinton never had a sexual relationship. But Tripp's tapes said otherwise. At this point, the FBI became involved, sensing that the Clinton administration was attempting to obstruct justice by persuading Lewinsky to lie. Clinton, for his part, buckled down, culminating in the famous January 26th speech. The full statement is actually much more damning than the oft-quoted snippet. He said, But I want to say one thing to the American people. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Ms. Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false. And I need to go back to work for the American people. But the investigation had already begun in earnest. After getting his hands on Linda Tripp's recording of Lewinsky's confession, independent counsel Kenneth Starr came to his own conclusion. The president had an affair with his intern, lied about it, and tried to cover it up. It was a monumental discovery. For all the tawdry nature of the content, the president's actions represented a clear abuse of power. And even more damning, they indicated perjury, and an attempt at obstructing justice. But Starr knew this couldn't become a game of he said, she said. He had to be able to paint a complete picture from multiple perspectives to prove that it was true. Throughout February and March of 1998, he collected additional testimony from Lewinsky's mother, as well as a different woman who claimed Clinton assaulted her. Ironically, by April 1998, the Paula Jones lawsuit had been thrown out, as the judge felt there wasn't enough evidence to show that Clinton's actions had harmed Jones's career. But the Justice Department investigation remained underway. It was during this month that Starr decided to demand testimony from those closest to the president. Not his wife, not his chief of staff, but the very agents who protected him, who watched his every move, the secret service. On May 22, 1998, a judge ruled that they could be forced to testify. Next, we'll discuss the fallout from their testimony. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com/specialoffer. All lowercase. That's shopify.com/specialoffer. Now back to the story. While 1998 had been full of shocking twists and turns for the Clinton administration, none was worse than the May 22nd ruling that Secret Service agents could be compelled to testify against the president. Clinton rather transparently tried to prevent this, as did the Secret Service itself. Secret Service Director Louis Merletti feared that this would lead the president to push his security detail away, not wanting them to be witness to his every move. He said, We will lose a president of the United States to assassination. The president himself said, There are some things that you ought not to have to make a law about. It never occurred to anybody that anyone would ever be so insensitive to the responsibilities of the Secret Service that this kind of legal question would arise. None of this moved Federal Judge Norma Holloway Johnson, who said, The court does not doubt that physical proximity between Secret Service personnel and the president is crucial to the president's safety. However, it does not accept the suggestions that the possibility that agents could be compelled to testify before a grand jury will lead a president to push away his protectors. If a president was so worried about keeping his activities quiet that he forwent the protection of his security detail, that was his affair. The White House appealed the decision. But on July 7, 1998, the US Court of Appeals agreed with Judge Johnson. Then the Secret Service appealed too, forcing the issue all the way to the Supreme Court. In all likelihood, the agents simply didn't want to be put into a position where they would have to lie, or worse, tell the truth, embarrass the president, and endanger their careers. But the appeals didn't work. On July 23, 1998, Larry Cockell, one of the key Secret Service agents in President Clinton's entourage, was forced to testify. The exact details of a lot of the testimony from the entire scandal are confidential, but it's clear that investigators were beginning to paint a clear picture of Clinton and Lewinsky's relationship, with multiple sources confirming her presence in the Oval Office. By August 17, 1998, President Clinton had few options left but to tell the truth. To continue sticking to the lie that he had never had a relationship with Lewinsky would have put him in serious contempt of court. And so he admitted to an inappropriate relationship, but he continued to deny any attempt at a cover-up, and he didn't exactly apologize for his bald-faced lie months earlier either. Ultimately, the investigation resulted in a recommendation of impeachment of 11 counts, two of which the House of Representatives adopted, voting to impeach President Clinton. And yet there still wasn't enough evidence of serious wrongdoing to convince the Senate to actually remove him from office. Clinton finished his term. By and large, the entire debacle served only to deeply affect the lives of the women who had come into the president's orbit. He was clearly guilty of more than just lying, But as we learn on a near-daily basis, crime often goes unpunished. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime, I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed this story, check out ParCast Original Political Scandals. It features similar stories of people in power trying to get away with lying, and much worse. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.